First Corinthians chapter one, where we get to turn again this morning. First Corinthians one, a thanksgiving that Paul has offered for his people, the church back in Corinth uh, on the well, the Grecian uh, peninsula there in the Aegean Sea and Adriatic Sea, and celebrates the fact that he was there to establish this church and to uh, be the one, the apostle who brought that gospel uh, to them and bore witness of Christ in that rather pagan city, secular city, had some Jewish so, and some God-fearing influences, and yet uh, needs the gospel, needed the gospel, and continues as, as all societies and cultures across time need the gospel of Jesus Christ, need not an upgraded version of it, not need a, a uh, culturally sensitive version of it, but need the truth of the gospel. And Paul was so grateful to bring that to them. As Paul's custom is, and we saw last time, the first three verses in this letter anyway, he identifies himself as the author, he identifies a few things about him, he identifies who he's writing to, to whom he is writing, and that is the Corinthian church, or the church of God in Corinth, and then he gives a, a little greeting, peace, uh, grace to you and peace uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he launches into a thanksgiving, again, as is his custom in his various letters, and he has great thanksgiving, you think, now, you know some things about this First Corinthians letter, right? You know that, hmm, there are a lot of issues with this church. We think, man, the church in Corinth, what was going on there? Why are they so confused about so many different things and even disobedient, if you don't mind? And yet he starts with a thanksgiving. Isn't that wonderful? He's thankful for the, for the people, yes, but he's thankful for what God is doing in them. He says, God is faithful, verse 9, God is faithful. And that's, that's a resting identity we can get if we just look at our look at ourselves and look at each other we think how can i give thanks for that what he just said or we she just did or whatever we can thank god that his work his grace is active in us and we look to that and we look to god who gives all things and we want to be humble obedient children of his honoring his word and his work in our lives well he begins this Thanksgiving and verse 4. Let me just read this text for us, verses 4 through 9, and we'll look at it as we have opportunity this morning. Uh, beginning at verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all word and all knowledge, even as the witness about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He, as he, as he starts here, he says, I thank my God. I'm just very thankful. He could have started any number of ways, like he did in Galatians. You can read the Galatian letter and realize he, he launched right into it. He didn't waste any breath, any, any ink. He just said, let me, let me set you straight and about the gospel, about his apostolic authority. But here he eases into it and he... he Really what he's doing, a couple of things he's doing in this Thanksgiving is taking the Corinthian church perspective, their their orientation, their 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 viewpoint or what their eyes are set upon or their mindset is on. And he says, you guys are so focused on yourself and what you have and what other people don't have, but you have and you kind of take pride in that and you boast in this. Let me redirect your focus to the Lord who gave it. I give thanks to my God. I'm thanking him. And so he recognizes the self-satisfaction, the kind of maybe smugness that the Corinthian church had, that they were, I mean, after all, Paul spent months, a year and a half with us, and so he must be pretty special. 
God opened a door of service right there, just like he did in Ephesus, just like he did there in Corinth. And so Apostle Paul was glad to, to work in that situation. Again, a very uh, cosmopolitan, a very uh, connected city, both east to west, north to south. And so, yeah, it was a great opportunity for him to minister the gospel, not just for that little localized community that reached across the whole Mediterranean basin. He's right there in Corinth, right where all the action is. And so, yeah, he's going to thank God. So he directs, redirects the, the Corinthian church perspective from themselves to God and specifically the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he also redirects their time focus because they're so much focused on right now and the present fact and even had a little bit of a um, confusion about eschatology, which he's going to get uh, correct a little bit later. And so he says, you have not arrived at perfection. You are not there yet. You are not the most sanctified persons. Yes, you have gifts. I'm thankful for the gifts of grace that God has given you, but you haven't arrived, and you're, you're even using those gifts and boasting in them as if they're from your own selves, that, that you somehow generated all this, and, and you deserve this, or you have earned it, or whatever. So he, he puts the perspective on God, and he says, there's a, another time coming. You're not perfect yet. You're not mature. You're not complete yet. We'll look at that as he says, you are you are not lacking anything. But he says, in that end time, that's when God the Father is going to confirm you to the end in the day of Christ when he comes at that future time. Be faithful now, as God is faithful, but look forward and eagerly expect that time when Christ himself will come. So again, verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given you in Christ Jesus. This grace, a, a gift, he says, I'm thanking God because of, well, he first says always, constantly, consistently, just all the time, as I have occasion. Now, Paul, of course, if he's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, he's not in Corinth, right? He's, he's somewhere else. In fact, he's probably in Ephesus at this time, writing this letter back to, to the church in Corinth. And so he says, um, every time I have opportunity, I just thank God for you, but what I see, God's grace working in you. He says a few different things. The, the prayer, the thanksgiving, this is interesting. You, you track this down. You can feel free to search your Bible for this. Whenever Paul gives thanks to God, that God to whom he's giving thanks is God the Father. And think, well, that's kind of, is that real? Well, you can, you can search it out. But he typically, and I, I couldn't find any occasion or incidents in which he gave, thank, gave thanks to Christ the Son. It's always thanking God the Father through Jesus the Son and even prompted by or in the power or however we want to say it by the Holy Spirit. So we see a thanksgiving directed to God the Father who is the planner, the purposer, the one who like Ephesians 1 talks about the, the purposes of God, the kind intention of his will. And so always we thank God. Now are you, are you, am I making a hard distinction between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? No, it's one person, right? One God and three persons. My only point is, and you can, you can search this out, is that the thanks is always directed to God the Father. Search it out. You'll see it to be so. How about that? Anyway, thank my God always. I'm praying for you. I'm praying on your behalf. I'm praying with thanksgiving in my heart because I see a lot of things going on in your life. And I know that the entrance of the gospel was established in your church. I saw people getting saved, coming out of the synagogue, coming out of the pagan whatevers, and they come to Christ. And I saw that. I was there. I was one of the agents, right? Paul and, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila were teaching the gospel. Apollos came later and taught the, 
the gospel there in the Corinthian church and says, yeah, I'm going to give thanks for you. I'm going to give thanks for the grace of God, the gift of, of God, the divine favor of God, his empowerment to live a holy life. That is active. And so I give so much thanks to God. It was given you. How did it come to you? Because you're just so great. Big, oh, you're the Corinthian you know, city. You're the third most populous city in the empire of the Rome. And of course it would come to you. No, it was God's grace and it came to you in Christ Jesus. You know, part of the reason, we looked at this briefly, I suppose, in Acts 18, why Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila, Aquila, Aquilos is the Greek term, anyway, why they were kicked out of Rome is because there was a whole kind of um, conflict or, or um, issues in relating to those who were coming to faith in Christ. And there, there was, the, and, and the opponents of Christ kind of relabeled his name as Crestus, and they had a picture of, uh, you know, I forget the guy's name, a little inscription on a, on a stone wall or a stone something or other that said, here's so-and-so worshiping his God. And it's a person, picture of a person on a cross with a donkey's head. It was a mocking image of Crestus, right? Well, that's not, that's not Christ. Well, and so Claudius, the emperor at the time, said, well, get all these people, these Christ followers out of here because they're just causing problems. And, and why don't you give all those, because he's a messianic or a Jewish character, just get, get all the Jews out of here. Why well, don't need them in around, around here? And so this Christ figure was a, a rather upsetting um, personage or idea anyway in the Roman Empire, especially as you can think about, you think about the emperor worship that related to that and, and so forth. But here Paul is saying, I can't abandon it and say, well, we need to kind of go uh, kind of on the down low of talking about Jesus Christ right now because of all the political upset and we just don't want to rock the boat. He says, look, you guys, you Corinthian people, you got this in Christ Jesus. This is not because of yourself. It's not because of any reason, but Christ Jesus is the one who brought it to you. You'll see in these first 10 verses, 10 different uses of the, of the, the phrases, Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, Christ, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And you think, well, I thought Christ was his last name. No, right? Jesus Christ. Like, no, it's not. His last name. It's a title. And the title can come first, right? Like president or king. Um, you, can, you can do it in any order. And so you look through this, this text, we see so many different examples of, of references to Christ in different ways. There's only one of two uses of the word son or the title son in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians. And that one of them is right here in this text as well. In other words, the grace that God the Father gives comes through, is applied by or purchased by and applied uh, by the Holy Spirit himself, the, the Spirit of Christ that is indwelling each of his believers. So Paul says, yeah, I thank God for what I see in you. And my, the ground of my thanksgiving is, again, not so much the performance or the, the obedience or the perseverance of the Corinthian church. No, I give thanks for, again, God is the one who gave. It's through Christ himself, so I know it's, it's secure. It's not something that comes through the, the prophets. It's not something that comes through your, your um, poets or anything. It comes through Jesus Christ. It's the original kind of stuff. And so in everything, you were enriched, verses 5 and 6. In everything, you were enriched. And notice in these two verses, three different uses of the word all. Now, the first one we, we see everything is, is that word all. So in all things, you were enriched in him, in all word and all knowledge. What Paul is probably doing in this little thing is, is kind of giving a hint about what he's going to be addressing in his letter to the Corinthian church. He's using some of their, their um, 
familiar speech or some of their code words, not necessarily code words like it's secret, but some of their things that they celebrate in themselves. And that would be, hey, we're rich. We are full. We are uh, sufficient in ourselves. That's what he's saying. You, you were enriched in him, not in yourself. It's not because you're so smart and, all, you, know, and, and you have all the connections and everybody comes to the whole world, comes to Corinth. No, you were enriched in him. And you have to think through a lot of these pronouns. Who's doing what? Is it is him, God the Father? Is him, Christ the Son? It's most likely in you were enriched in Christ, right? That's what we just saw. The grace which was given you in Christ Jesus, and you were enriched in him, in Christ Jesus. And he uses that key word or, or uh, popular word in the Corinthian church, riches or or fullness, I guess, is another way to say that. You were enriched. There's no question about that. Paul does not question the reality of grace, the grace of God active in the life of the church. And he even celebrates it and says, wow, God is, is good. He fulfills or, or does what he promised. And the grace of God, the gospel of God, does bring a change in people's lives. You were, you have been enriched in Christ. And then he uses two other words here. First word is word, of course, or well, word, and the second word is knowledge. And he says, you were enriched in everything, all things, but specifically in word and in knowledge, a very, the very things that the Corinthian church really celebrated, which if you read on in chapters 1 and 2 and so forth, Paul brings the contrast between the word of the of kind of human or fleshly words versus the word of Christ, uh, word of the cross, verse 18. The word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so he says, the word that we really celebrate is not your wisdom. The knowledge we celebrate is not what you have learned in the course of your studies and all this kind of stuff. It's the word and the knowledge that God himself provides. He provides it through Christ. Remember your position in Christ. Remember that anything you have is a gift. And he's going to repeat this idea in, in chapter 4, that what do you have that hasn't been given to you? Why are you boasting as if it's from yourself? What, where are you getting this idea? I give thanks. So he, right at the beginning, he's directing the people's attention back to God the Father through Jesus the Son and even clarifying, he'll get to the ideas about the, um, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church in uh, chapters 12 and and uh, 13, 14, but he kind of anticipates that and, and builds in his opening words, his thanksgiving, to kind of nicely, gently step right into it and, and says, okay, here, we're going to talk about this. And he's already written one letter, right, uh, what he references in chapter 5, and this is a, a second correspondence, what we call 1 Corinthians, and, uh, and he says, look, these are the issues we're talking through. I'm giving you a hint. We're going to talk about this, but he recognizes you have been enriched this is great. There's, there's nothing. We'll see it in the next verse, verse 7. You, you're not lacking anything, you, which is another way to say you're full of everything. There's nothing that you lack. Everything is supplied to you. Why do you think that you either have um, a need for more, and they really don't have that so much, or, well, except in the sense of, of trying to act like the world. They tried to use human rhetoric, and they tried to use the wisdom of the world to, to persuade men. He says, no, we're going to preach the gospel, and it's foolishness, absolute abject Inanity, uh, inanity, insanity. It's inane too, but it's it, it's it's just ridiculous. World looks at that and says, what are you celebrating that? That's good news, gospel. No, let me tell you the good news. What's what the world would say? And the Corinthian church says, oh well, we need to listen. We need to kind of learn from our worldly brothers and really know you know how to market, how to package this this whole thing. You have it. You have all the riches. You have all the completeness. It's word. It's knowledge. And he says. The witness about or of or from Christ was confirmed in you. 
It was established. I was there. I saw it. I was there for a year and a half. I saw the grace of God active in your life. It's not that you are lacking in anything. It's not that you need to reach out and, and learn from the world, wisdom, and, and even the, the process of, of rhetoric and how, how do you present yourself. No, you have all it. And even this idea of word and, well, specifically word, can refer to either the the, the spoken word, the, the speaking of the word, or the content of the message itself. Kind of like when we talk about uh, teaching. Is teaching, are we teaching content? Well, we should be teaching ideas and so forth. But then there's also the act of teaching we're talking about. So the same kind of idea, and the same word is used in First Timothy 5.17, talking about uh, the elders who rule well ought to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word, same word, word, and doctrine. And it could be the content of the stuff, but also the process of teaching, teaching the word. And so he says, look, you have all these riches. There's nothing that you need apart from this. You have this knowledge. You have knowledge. Probably in this in this context, more of a general idea. A little bit later in, in uh, chapter 12, he's going to talk about special knowledge, uh, knowledge that comes through the Spirit, some kind of revelation that is... Uh, is given by the Holy Spirit. Here it seems more more uh, of a generic um, generic thing. And if you remember, a little bit later, this is in chapter 8, he, and in, again in chapter 13, he talks about love, which tends to puff up, tends to make us boastful. Oh, I know more than you. And so I, I have reason to boast in myself. He says, no, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. We don't want to edify ourselves in the sense of build ourselves up. We want to use the word, the knowledge to build other people up. We want to speak in a reasonable sense. We want to love them and to teach the truth, not in a condescending way like we have all of our ducks in a row or, or ducks in order or, or what all that is. But this is God's word. It's been entrusted to us. We're supposed to entrust it to other people as well. And so, hey, in everything, in all things, you are enriched in him in a word and knowledge even as the witness, the testimony that Christ brings, or the testimony about Christ, uh, however you want to understand that phrase, it was established, it was confirmed, it was um, kind of in a legal sense. It was uh, ratified, it was uh, uh, enacted, it was you know, signed, sealed, and delivered. It was stamped with the seal of the, of, the, um, of the county clerk or the notary public, right? So this is something that you can take it to the bank and, and you know, whatever. It has been established in you. It is without a doubt the witness about Christ is there. I was there. I was one of the witnesses about Christ that brought that to you. And I saw him save people out of the synagogue, out of the marketplace, all kinds of people coming to Christ. And the church in Corinth, like God, fought, God promised in, in Acts 18, I have many people there in the city. Whoa! Let's go meet some of those people. A lot of them weren't saved at the time. But God said, I'm going to bring them, and the witness about Christ is going to be established in you. It will be without a doubt, people are going to know that the grace of God is active in, the, in this uh, major, major city in uh, Corinth. And it was confirmed in the church. It's not like they need to look elsewhere. They need to think, well, what about the Ephesian church over there? They've got things going. No, the gospel's working you. You don't need the other people over there. Now, it's not to say that our, our churches shouldn't cooperate and whatever else like that, or that they're somehow less than. No, the point is you have what you need right there in your assembly. There is, as various uh, denominations have affirmed, the autonomy of the local church, the, the uh, self-sufficiency, not in themselves, but, but you, you have what you need to manage and take care of your own and be a witness in your community. It has been confirmed in you. So act out that way. Make sure that you fulfill what God has entrusted to you. You're rich in so many different ways. And he says in verse 7, you're not lacking. 
I pray, I give thanks because of his grace active, and you don't lack anything. You have it, what you need. You're not lacking in any gift. This is the idea of uh, of somehow having a deficiency in or um, a deficiency in something that is desirable. You know, you know, if you don't have a deficiency of lead poisoning, that's really not a that's a good thing, right? You're deficient in lead poisoning. Good, good for you. But to be deficient in love, well, that's another thing. But Paul says you are not deficient. You're not lacking in any gift. Now, this word gift is a, a word that's related to the word grace, as he's talked about earlier in verse 4. And he says this is something that is a tangible sometimes, or, or at least a, um, observable evidence of God's gracious work in our lives. It is a, a, something, a, a gift that has been given, not because you deserve it, but it's a gift of God. It is something that proves itself out in various ways. You're not lacking in any gift, any work of grace. Maybe different translations talk about well, let's see, uh, a few translations have spiritual gift that uh, talk about this. Well, that's not, the, there's a different word we'll see in chapter 12 where he talks about spiritual gifts or things of the spirit. And he's going to use that word as an adjective, spiritual thinking, spiritual men versus fleshly. There, there's that different idea. But he's going to introduce a different term or use it differently, excuse me, in chapter 12, talking about spiritual gifts, talking about teaching and prophecy and tongues and all the healings and administration and, and all these you know, helps and whatever else in chapter 12 and chapter 14. I don't think he's, he's kind of laying the groundwork to get to that point. I don't think he's there yet. He's just saying, all the gifts that you have, these gracious outpourings of God's grace, you have it. You're not lacking in any of these things. And we can see that. I've seen it in your life. He says it uh, similarly in Romans uh, chapter 1 about a, giving a gift. Uh, well, I don't have it, the reference here, but it's chapter 1. He wanted to impart a spiritual gift, a, a gift, I think is how it, it uh, phrases it here, and wants to have that um, blessing of the, to the Roman church. He hadn't been in Rome yet, and he wanted to get there and, and make sure that they had right everything that they needed to affirm or confirm and carry out the plan of God there in the capital city, the Roman Empire of Rome. And so he says, you're not lacking in any gift. You have what you need. You can do, uh, and you ought to uh, do what God has commanded you to do, just as I want to fulfill God's work in me. And we'll see how, I mean, it consumed his life. Paul was totally given to the work of the gospel. And he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And I, I have a, a commission or a, a stewardship entrusted to me. And he says, look, you guys do too. And you're adequate. You are sufficient for these things. And we think, well, good for them. The good for the Corinthian church. What about us? How about we look at like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Word of God is profitable. God breathed. It's inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, fully equipped for every good work. Boy, I just wish I could be equipped for every good work. You have been equipped for every good. You pay attention to this word. It is sufficient to make the man of God, the woman of God, the, the person who wants to uh, serve God with their life, makes you adequate, which is to say you have all you need, and he, uh, fully equipped, which is to say you have opportunities then. So you have what you need, kind of like bringing your, I mean, good grief, we can, in our, in our little hand, we can bring the whole Bible, we can bring it in multiple languages, we can bring commentaries, we can bring lectionary, le well, lectionaries, if you want to read a schedule, but lexicons, com uh, uh, concordances, all these kind of things. And so we have been equipped in that regard, but also we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the desire to honor Christ. We have the, the, the love for Christ. And so, yes, we're not lacking anything. 
And we just want opportunity to share the hope that is within us to give uh, that same confidence in Christ to others that we have ourselves. You're not lacking in any gift. Get out there and use your gift. Serve the Lord and do it. Don't do it for yourself. Don't strain your, your arm trying to pat yourself on the back saying you're such a great person. You are just so neat and so wonderful and I just love you. And we're talking to ourselves, I love me. Good grief, what kind of foolishness. But to celebrate, wow, I can be used of God. I can be his agent of grace upon other people's lives. I don't know about that. That's a crazy person over there. Or he's, he's of the other party and I can't share the gospel with him. Is he a person? Is she a person? Can we share the hope of the gospel? Can we share the life-changing work of God through his grace that's so evident because I need grace in my life and so we can show that to other people, show that grace that is so active. Make sure, and Paul even says, I'm thankful you have been enriched in everything and now you're not lacking in any gift. So both positively and negative, you got this. Get out there. You have what, you, what it needs. Get out there. Be faithful. And he says, don't just set your sight on, well, I'm comfortable at home, or um, I'm tired, or I've had a bad week, or uh, you don't know my situation or my story in my life, and I've really had a hard time in my life. How about if we take our perspective and run it forward to Christ, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ? And he says it in two different ways. The revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then in verse 8, or verse um, yeah, verses verse 7. Verse 8, he says, who will also confirm you to the end beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the revelation of Christ. We have the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you come out of that, these particular words, and you come to the of, of a kind of a systematic approach to this, we're talking about the day of God's wrath and the day of God's fury and the day of God's reward and his appearance, obviously appearance, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're talking about that time when Christ himself comes down and there he is. And what have you done for Christ? Now this isn't a, a browbeating thing and say, well, you need to get busy doing stuff. We can be faithful and ought to be faithful wherever we are in whatever context, whatever situation of life, situation of life directing people's, well, directing ourselves first, but directing people's attention to Christ because he's coming. And it's not something that we need to dread or, or something that we need to just kind of think, yeah, um, I mean, you, you don't do this with, with a wedding that's coming up. And you say, yeah, I'm getting married in like two days. But what do you, what's about with you? And, and you're not excited about this? You're not eagerly awaiting this? Or, or you have the opening of a, of a whatever exhibit or a movie's coming out or something you're really excited about or a new restaurant. I don't know what it is you guys are excited about. But we, we get excited about it. We eagerly anticipate it. What about when Christ comes? Do we long for that? Do we love him? Even as he says at the end of the, of the book, in chapter 16, he says in verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Well, that's really harsh. Why does he say that? Well, because if you don't love the Lord, you are accursed. Well, you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says Maranatha, which is to say, uh, Lord come, or the Lord is coming, or something like that. It's an Aramaic term. And he says, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. In other words, it's all about Jesus. God the Father wanted to give an a, a opportunity for a redeemed humanity to celebrate Christ, his Son. We're going to read about that in chapter, five, chapter 15. And we say, Amen. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we eagerly await when that, that day of Christ's appearance will come. And we eagerly anticipate. We want that so much. We have 
a realization, yes, we have everything we need, right? We're enriched. We are not lacking anything. But there's something not quite right. It's kind of like, again, using that wedding analogy, uh, here we are, the, the guests at the reception, we're celebrating, but good grief, where's the bride? Where's the groom? Don't press that analogy too far because we are the bride anyway. But where, where's, the, where's Christ? We're going to eat the cake without him? No, we need Jesus here. And so eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying we need him. We need him to complete that work in us. And he says, thankfully, verse 8, God himself, and there's some discussion, I guess, who is who here? Who is this Jesus? Jesus will confirm us, or is it God the Father? I think it's God the Father. We can talk about it. But God the Father will also confirm you to the end beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will confirm. The same word we saw earlier about the confirming of, of um, the testimony, the witness about Christ, they're established among you. Same kind of thing. We're going to be established ourselves, confirmed. He will confirm you. In other words, what he began to do, Philippians 1, 6, what he began to do, he's going to complete in the day of Christ. He'll be finished. He will confirm you to the end. Confirmed, signed, sealed, and delivered, as we talked earlier. Justified, yes. Sanctified, yes. Glorified. Finished. The work is done. He will confirm you to the end. And this idea, beyond reproach. Now, we're supposed to be beyond reproach, right? Legally, uh, there should be no grounds of accusation against us. We should be irreproachable or beyond accusation. Christians ought to be. And as we've looked at in the context of uh, both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, elders, pastors, overseers, stewards of God are supposed to be above reproach. In other words, what Christians ought to be, elders must be. And we see man. That's going to be real. That's going to be realized in that day when Christ himself comes. We want to have that idea, again, in a technical sense, accusation, an indictment. What well, doesn't mean you're guilty, but there's something that could be uh, a charge against you. And he says, we're going to be beyond reproach. There's nothing. Nobody can lay a hand on us that day when Jesus Christ comes. And we think, good grief, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to be able to finish so well? And the Corinthian church kind of thinks, well, I, I know, we're doing just fine. And he says, no. Let me, let me tell you what's going on. God is faithful. Verse 9, God is faithful. And we can end right there. God is faithful. He speaks what is true. He is true. He fulfills his promises. He doesn't have to promise us anything. But he does, and he promises grace. He promises life to us, and he fulfills his promise. Thankfully, God does not waver. We have another saying around our house that plans are for changing because they typically do change. But God's plans never change. They don't need to take in account of other events and, and uh, situations and whatever. God knows and his purpose will, be, will prevail. God is faithful. He was the one who called us. We saw this earlier, called Paul to be an apostle, called them to be saints. And now he says, God the Father called his people, his saints, not the dead ones, right? The dead saints that have been beatified and according to the Roman Catholic Church or whatever. But those who are in Christ have been called into fellowship with his son. And not just, oh, we're going to have tea together or tea and biscuits or whatever. No, we're going to have, we're going to share in his death. We're going to share in his life. We're going to share in, in his inheritance even. We are joint heirs. We studied this Thursday night uh, in our Men and Boys Bible study that we are, are part of that firstborn right that Christ himself has. We are joint heirs. We are our uh, fellow heirs of what Christ himself um, experiences as a blessing from God. And we think, we're not worthy of that. Exactly. We're not worthy of that. But by Christ, by the application of his grace upon our lives, we see that God is faithful. 
We ought to be faithful, but our faithfulness even rests upon God's faithfulness. He is faithful to his promise. He will finish and fulfill what he is has promised to do. He is dependable. And we look at ourselves and think, oh, I wish I could depend on that person. Or is that you know reliable? I want to be reliable. God is reliable. Trust in him all the time. He is trustworthy. He keeps his, his word all the time. And so we can rest in that. You were called into fellowship. By whom? God. And so if God is faithful, he's going to finish that. Hey, come on. Come into fellowship with his son. And you think, well, I'm not worthy. Exactly. Come on in. Oh, but I have. Come in. Come in and fellowship with my son. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We find our identity in him. Christ, the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one that we long for. He is the one that we celebrate with. He is the one that subjected himself to come and rescue a bunch of sinners out of God's wrath, just and holy wrath. And he says, come on, come into fellowship. Come and be conformed to his death. Come be conformed to his life. Come and enjoy his sufferings even. I don't want to suffer for Christ. Well, there's a blessing in that, to suffer for suffer for the sake of the name god the father recognizes that and celebrates that and he says come you for whom the whole table has been prepared and and and, uh, enter into the joy of your master so we have that that great confidence god is faithful that day is coming don't know when it's going to be the day of our lord jesus christ the day of of uh, rewards and punishments and we want to be faithful recognizing god's grace is active in our lives we want him to be honored we want him to we want to see him and show others that God's grace is sufficient. I have everything I need, and let me introduce you to the source. Not just a resource like him and, and Caesar. And No, God himself, through Christ, comes life. We want to have fellowship with him. Fantastic Thanksgiving that Paul gives for the Corinthian church, and we want to see that active in our own lives as well. The grace of God confirmed, uh, uh, celebrated, enlarged in our lives as we Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful again for your gift of life and the hope that we have in Christ and the confidence that you will fulfill your promises and we can rest in that. Please help us to be faithful as you are faithful, that you would, again, show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are complete toward you, tender toward you, humble before you, humble, trembling at your word and recognizing we have no life apart from Christ. We pray that that day of Christ would come soon, the revelation of Jesus and the obedience of the nations and even the treasures of the nations cast down at the feet of Christ, to whom belong all honor and glory. We pray in his name. Amen.